All right, well, let's all stand. We're going to get ready for the Word of God this morning. We have a great, great uh, day prepared for you. We've been praying for you, and we are very excited about what God would have us share today. We are thrilled to have the privilege. So let's pray together. Let's open our heart. I want to I really encourage you this morning to really lock in. Take this next few minutes and really open your heart. This is not just Pastor James speaking to you today. God has something he wants to say to you. Would you say this with me? Say it out loud. Say, I believe that today the God of the universe wants to speak to me. He does. Come on, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you this morning that it is going to bear fruit according to Colossians 1 and verse 7. As the word of God goes into our hearts, we receive it and it bears fruit from the very moment that it enters. Lord, I thank you, Psalms 119 and 9. We take heed to your word. And it brings cleansing and brings stability. Father, as Job wrote, we esteem your word higher than necessary food. Lord, we pray today, Acts chapter 19 and verse 20, that the word of God would grow and it would prevail and it would bring change in all of our lives. It's your word that changes us and we thank you for it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. All right, you can be seated this morning. We are in a series today. It's our second installment called Heroes Versus Villains. And if you were not here last week, we will take just a second and catch you up to date. But you can get on the internet, emmanuelag.com, and you can check out our sermons. We put the podcast on there, and they'll be a blessing to you. Uh, growing up in school, I was very small. And so as we're talking in our series, you'll see on the screen here a second, Heroes versus Villains. I was very, very small as a child. Now, I remember in eighth grade, I was probably the smallest eighth grader that I knew. I didn't know anybody really that was smaller than me. How many know when you're small and you have a big mouth, you're an easy target to be picked on? I've seen way more trash cans up close than what I would care to see. And there was this one guy, Joseph, that I remember his name was Scotty. And Scotty was the class bully. Anybody in the house admit that you were the class bully? I think Tyler was probably the class bully. And so uh, Scotty was the class bully, and he was the villain, so to speak. And, and Scotty just picked on everybody. I didn't feel too bad because Scotty picked on everybody. And so I remember, uh, Stacy, it was very clear to me. I remember the moment where this happened. I could take you back there now. Because it was a real defining moment for me as your pastor. I'm not the confident man I am today without this experience. And so I, between my eighth grade year and my freshman year, I had a growth spurt. And praise God, I grew like six inches just over summer. It was just amazing. And my voice went from, hello, my name is James, and I want to talk to you to this manly voice that you hear now. And so, amen, thank you, thank you. So really, seriously, my voice totally changed, and it was awesome, and, and, uh, and it was, I was walking down the hallway my freshman year of high school, and I saw Scotty coming, and I got a little bit nervous because I remembered Scotty. Scotty would come up and say, give me your lunch money, and I would just start shaking myself, you know, to get my money out. And so I remembered Scotty, and Scotty was passing me, and I thought, oh, no, this is not going to be good. And Scott, I noticed that I wasn't looking up to Scotty anymore. I noticed I was on eye level. And I thought, ooh, this is kind of interesting. And then Scotty said, hey, James. His voice hadn't changed either. I said, hey, Scotty, what's up? Because my voice had changed. 
And he never messed with me again because I grew and he didn't. And so Scotty never picked on me that year. And I began to think just during this series and during this Heroes versus Villains that, you know, we all think that we have people that are our enemies and we we all think that we have situations that that are frightening. And what I began to think of, Keith, is that as, as I began to become more confident. I was a little taller. My voice was a little deeper. I had a real confidence about me, and I was able to say, hello, Scotty, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't afraid anymore. The closer we get to God, the closer we get to his word, the more full of his word that we become, the more confident we can stand in the evil day. The Bible says we can have confidence when the day of evil comes. We have a dear brother in our church that I just love, Joseph Jackson has such a heart for God. Come on, can you encourage the Jackson family? Can I have a Jackson five? <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Some of you are too young for that, but I love the Jackson family there. God send our church. He has a really cool story about some villains that he dealt with. We all deal with lust, and we all deal with pride, and we all deal with guilt. We all deal with villains of depression. We all deal with insecurity. We all deal with the financial financial villain. How many know money can sometimes seem like it's a villain and financial problems? But I want you to hear Joseph's story because he's got a real testimony about how God really came in and was the hero for his life. So ladies and gentlemen, check out Joseph's story this morning. My name is Joseph, and I'm going to tell you about how I was set free. It started my sophomore year of college. I lost my grandfather, and I wasn't in church anymore. And uh, I went away. Started using drugs, and uh, it was mostly just because of the people I was around, and uh, because that impacts you. The people that you're around impacts who you are. And um, started down the road. I started living in the world and I became an alcoholic at the age of 19. At the age of 20, I started using marijuana. And by the time that I was 23 years old, I was addicted to prescription pills and cocaine. It became a habitual cycle. I would wake up in the morning and take my prescription medication, abuse it. By the time it was late in the afternoon, I was getting tired. So I'd smoke pot, smoke marijuana, and then I needed to sleep. So I would drink alcohol until I just passed out. And this happened and carried on until I was 24. So about eight months of this cycle. And then I hit bottom. I was trying to do it on my own. Been out of church at this point for about five years. And uh, I remember I was just sitting in the driveway, strung out. I hadn't eaten in three days. The only thing I drank was alcohol for about three days. And um, I remember sitting in my driveway and I gave up. I just was crying and I cried out, rescue me. God, if you were there, please rescue me. I stepped out of the car a different person. 
I woke up the next day, I didn't have cravings. I was set free overnight. And upon being set free, the Lord showed me how good He was, how good He is. He showed me that He loves me. He pulled me out of Nashville. He literally told me that I had to leave Nashville because it wasn't safe for me. And He put me in a church in a little small town in Middle Tennessee. And uh, I've been walking with Him since. He has freed me from alcohol. He has freed me from marijuana. He has freed me from prescription drugs. I've been set free, and all I had to do was ask. I wouldn't stay this way if I wasn't in the church body. This is something that I truly need. Um, it keeps my head on straight, and uh, I just I thank God every day for what He's done in my life. Come on, can we give God thanks this morning? Yes. Man, God is still changing lives, and he can change your life. Looking at Joseph now, talking to him, you would never know that he went through that. He is a, a leader in our church, uh, serves in our children's ministry. Come on, God is a redeeming God. Come on, can we give God thanks? And I'm telling you today that if you are facing some of the same villains that he faced, there is hope for you. In Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate superhero. And he is coming to save the day. He is coming to eradicate evil. And we thank God for that. So let's turn to our scriptures this morning. Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. Now if you've got your phone and want to dial it up, that's okay. Just no Facebook in during church. Can I have an amen? No texting during church. Look at 1 John chapter 4. I want you to see this. This is such a powerful, powerful scripture. We have villains in our life that cause real harm. We have villains in our life that bring real depression and real guilt. The thing about movies is they're just movies. We all love a good movie where good wins and evil is defeated, but there's nobody harmed in, in the movies. There's no, there's no real pain, no real suffering, but we all have villains, and we know villains in our life, and we know people that have went through some things. They have real hurt. Real pain, real suffering, and real trauma, but there is a promise in God's word. First John 4, are you there? Let's check it out, and let's read this. Here we go. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must see, you must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. Just because it glitters doesn't mean that it's gold. I used to sell jewelry, and I was a jewelry salesman, so if I notice your ring and watch, I'm not a little weird. I'm not a little flaky, if you know what I mean on that. I just used to sell jewelry. And so people would come in with diamonds or stones, Brooke. They'd be clear stones, and they'd go, oh, I just got engaged. Would you test my engagement ring? And I've been the bearer of some very bad news before. I'd be like, this thing, this diamond tester must not be working today. It must be unplugged, you know, something's not working. But just because it's clear and just because it's shiny and just because it's round and just because it's in a ring setting doesn't mean that it is a diamond. Just because it glitters doesn't mean that it's gold. Just because it looks and may sound spiritual or religious doesn't mean that it is God. We've got to be very careful in these last days. That's why the, the American flag is back here today. I'm announcing that I'm running for president of the United States. Yes. Yes. 
You can write my name in on Tuesday. So I'm the best of the three candidates. I promise you that. Amen. I don't think I'll get many votes, but that's okay. I really don't. I'm really not. I'm really not running for president. And I say, isn't that cool? Isn't that flag awesome? What was I saying before the flag interrupted me? Just because it sounds religious and sounds spiritual doesn't mean that it is God. Do you, do, you, do, you know, do you know that Satan in the Garden of Eden quoted scripture, misquoted, misquoted scripture to Eve? He said, did God really say that you shall not eat? And begin to quote what God had said. Just because it sounds religious doesn't mean that it is God. Notice this here. There are many false prophets in the world. Look at verse 2. This is how we know that they have the Spirit of God. If they claim Jesus, uh, if, if, a pro- if a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. Look at verse 3. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist. It, now, And some people get confused here. It says, which you've heard is coming into the world and is indeed already here. And some people read that and go, oh, the Antichrist has already come. But that's not it. The Antichrist does not come. But the spirit of Antichrist is here. And the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well in our city. The spirit of the Antichrist, you guys thought my voice had changed, but I guess it's wrong there. The spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well in our schools and in our nation. Now notice this here, what we're fighting. That's the villain. Somebody say, that's the villain. Now check this out in verse 4. One of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. I love this passage here. Notice what it says. But you belong to God. When you are a child of God, when you surrender to Jesus Christ, you become a child of the living God. You're no longer just a creation of God, but you move into that realm of being adopted as a son or daughter of the God of all the universe. You belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory. Look at your neighbor and say, you've already won. Just tell them, you've already won. Notice this, because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit that lives in the world. The spirit of God on the inside of you as a child of God is greater than the spirit of the Antichrist that lives in the world. Come on, amen. Thank you for whoever clapped. I will pay you later. Praise God. I'll take what I can get. Listen, the spirit of God on the inside of me is greater than anything that this, the world and, and uh, the villains and depression and guilt, anything this world can bring at me, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. We've already won the victory. I've got three people that are excited about it. It'll catch on with the rest of you guys. So we looked at the Apostle Paul. We won't take time to review that, but we looked at all the struggles that Paul went through. In the Bible, Paul was a Christian killer. His assignment before he met Christ was to to bring havoc and destruction to the people of God. If we were in Acts chapter, uh, uh, in the early book of Acts, and we were writing that out as we were going, Paul would come in here in this setting in this church service and he would begin to pull us out and take us out and he would cast his vote for Bob to die. Can you believe anybody would cast their heart for such a sweet man of God to die? But because Bob loves Jesus, Paul would say yes to having Bob killed because Bob will not curse Jesus, will not curse Christ. So Paul was a really bad dude. The Bible says that Paul was shipwrecked after he became a believer He faced danger from rivers and robbers, and he faced danger from his people and strangers. He was beat. Uh, He was whipped five times without number. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11 that he was shipwrecked. He was cold. He was hungry. Paul had a lot of things going on in his mind, and Paul began to, to fight those villains on a daily basis. And we began to give you, last time, three really vital roadmaps, three really vital roadmaps 
to defeating your villain. Number one, you'll see it on the screen. Number one, recognize we're in a battle. Recognize we are in a battle. How many know the fight is real? The fight is real. Recognize we're in a battle. Look at 1 Peter 5, 8. This is review. This is what we talked about last week. I want you to see this in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Stay alert. I mean, that should be our favorite scripture on Sunday mornings. Come on. Stay alert. I'm determined I'm going to be the hardest preacher you know to fall asleep in. So stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. We have an enemy, and it's not people. The government is not our enemy. Society is not our enemy. We have an enemy. He's a great enemy. And he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The way that we have a roadmap to our victory is we're going to recognize we're in a battle. Christians, come on, wake up. Come on, elbow your neighbor and say, wake up. We got to be alert. We got to realize we're in a fight. We have to realize we have an enemy. If I were the devil, clearly I'm not. Can I have an amen? If I were the devil, some days my wife might argue that point. But if I were the devil, I would do everything I could do to convince Jesse that I did not exist. I'm not his problem. I'm not his enemy. Uh, an, an alarming percentage, an alarming percentage, 50, 60, 70% of millennials that grew up in church don't believe there's absolute truth, don't believe there's a literal heaven and a literal hell. It's a large, alarming percentage because Satan in Revelation uh, 12 is called the deceiver. He's the great deceiver. So we got to recognize, friends, we're in a battle. You have an enemy. His job is to deceive, to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, everything that goes wrong with you is not a devil. Well, I was going to come to church this morning, and the devil didn't want me to come to church. I got out in my car, and my car would not start. The devil didn't want me to come to church today. Well, sir, when's the last time you bought a battery for your car? 1972. (laughs) Listen, number one, you need a battery. Number two, the devil didn't have anything to do with you not coming to church this morning. Can I have an amen? Just because things go wrong, it's not the devil. The devil gets blamed for a lot of stuff that is our own doing. Can I have an amen? I've heard it said Satan could retire and leave us to our own schemes and devices, and we would still be all messed up. So we blame the devil on a lot of things. But now listen, if the car won't start, and, and well, uh, the devil's after me. My toaster broke. Well, how old's your toaster? I bought it in 1932. It was the very first one ever made. You need a new toaster, okay? But now if the toaster breaks, the refrigerator breaks, the plumbing breaks, hot water heater breaks, uh, all these things, you know, then we may say you may be dealing with a, a, a supernatural thing here. They may be a legitimate attack. But just because something goes wrong, it's not the devil. But there is an enemy, and he is out to kill, still and destroy. And we've got to recognize that we are in a battle. All right, number two. Are you ready? Me and Brooke, we're ready. Number two, the second roadmap to winning our villains. Check this out on the screen. Number two, this is a phrase that I felt the Lord gave me. I never heard this before. Joyce, never in all my life have I heard this. You have to remember to forget. This is going to help you in such a big way. You have to remember to forget. I can sense, George, in my heart, I can just see it, that Paul, the apostle Paul, would kneel down to pray, and he'd start praying for his churches. And then across the screen of his mind would flash images of him grabbing people out and and killing people and and destroying homes and burning down homes. And, And I can see in my mind that Paul had to remember to forget some junk in his life because Paul was a really bad dude and he had hurt a lot of really good people. Their only crime was believing in Jesus. 
And then even after Paul became a Christian, he had so many hardships and trials, and he was hungry and without clothing, and, and I can see him, Jesse, kneeling down to pray, and, and then all of a sudden remembering the beatings, remembering it. I, I just get a sense in, when we're going to read here in Philippians chapter 4, I can see Paul uh, writing. This is not biblical. This is just my view, my opinion. Paul's in prison, okay, in Philippians 4, and I can see him writing this letter to these folks. And all of a sudden, the guards run in and possibly grab Paul and begin to kick him and beat him and say, quit riding, quit spreading the gospel. And as Paul climbs up from his cell, he writes these words in Philippians 4 and verse 8. I can see this. He's in prison. Look what he wrote in Philippians 4 and verse 8. He says this, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts on what is honorable. You know what? Fix your thoughts on what is right. Paul had to remember to forget how cruel and how mean and how bad his past was. Paul had to remember to forget how he was, uh, went through this test and trial. Maybe you were abused as a child and it hurts and there's scars and wounds. You have to remember to forget. I'm not saying overlooking wrong. I'm not saying denying that things never happen. But maybe you were so betrayed by a loved one. You had a family member that just betrayed you. You trusted them and you loved them and they took you for granted and they totally betrayed you. You got to remember to forget. Maybe you've had a lot of hardship. Maybe an addiction wrecked your marriage. Maybe an addiction ruined your life and now you're I talked to a young man yesterday. I got a call on Facebook Messenger. I didn't even know Facebook Messenger could call. My phone kept buzzing saying Facebook was calling me. And I was like, what is this? I didn't even know Facebook could call me. Got a call from a young man who was in South Carolina. I was driving back from Nashville. And, and I hadn't talked to this young man in a long time. And so I was apparently bottom of the contact list. He'd been through the list. And he had had a job in South Carolina. And Felt a drug test and got fired, needed some money to get back home. I was honored that he called me. But this man, this addiction that this man has, has, has rent his family, it's rent his career, it's rent his job. What a villain. When he turns his life around, which I believe is going to happen, I believe he's going to have to remember to forget some of those things. We've, we've all messed up and done things against the will of God. So Paul, I believe, began to write these things. One final thing, whatever's true and honorable. Fix your thoughts on these. Paul couldn't fix his thoughts on what he had done. He had to fix his thoughts on what's true and honorable and what's right. Notice in what's pure and lovely and admirable, think on these things. This is what I call the exchange of the mind. Instead of your mind thinking about the villains and what they've done to you and how they hurt you and how you are a victim, change that to what is true. The truth is God's word sees you as a victor. The truth is you've already won a victory. The truth is greater is he that is inside of Jesse than he that is in the world. So you and I, we've got to remember to forget. How many of you kneel down to pray or go to pray sometimes? You don't have to kneel. How many of you go to pray sometimes and remember some sin or something that you did? Isn't it how ironic that that comes up just at the opportune time? Come on. We've got to remember to forget some of our guilt. We've got to remember to forget. This is called renewing your mind. It's called the changing, the renewing of your mind. Look with me at Romans chapter 12. Is this helping anybody anywhere? Joseph has to remember to forget. 
those days. Not that we don't learn from our past and we thank God for what he did and delivered us, but, but if you do not remember to forget, it will stop you from going forward to what God has planned for you. Romans 12 says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but let God transform, let God renew into a new person by changing the way you think. You see, the battle starts right here. Look at your neighbor and say, starts right here. Starts right here. The battle starts in the mind. If you do not win the battle of the mind, you don't win the battle in life. All of your problems, all of my problems, start right here. All my villains start right here in my mind. Notice this. God will change the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we've got to put more of the word of God in to erase and renew our situations. You remember Moses? Anybody remember Moses? Anybody remember the Old Testament? Anybody remember the Bible? I'm doing a good job as a pastor. Amen. I'm doing very good. You remember Moses and the Bible? You know, Moses was in Pharaoh's house. What was it, Pastor Randy? Help me. Was it 40 years? I didn't look this up recently, but I'm just said, wasn't it 40 years? And then Moses had to spend, you know, Moses was in the desert. Was it 40 years again as well? Moses was in the desert 40 years. But between getting to what God wanted him to do and deliver the people of God, why was that? Why was Moses in the desert for 40 years? It took 40 years to get Pharaoh's house out of Moses. You understand what I'm saying? It took all those years in the desert to get all the Pharaoh out of Moses. So God wasn't just uh, making Moses wait. He was working on him. If Moses had renewed his mind a little quicker to the things of God, the good and pleasing, perfect will of God, it may not have taken 40 years. And so we must begin to change and begin to think. We've got to remember to forget our past and let God change us and help us and move us forward. Not only do we need to remember that we're in a battle, not only do we need to remember to forget, but we also need to reach for the right weapons. Number three, check this out. Don't you love alliteration? Man, alliteration is inspired by God. It takes a lot of work to think of these alliteration things. We must reach for the right weapon. Now, how many of you hunt in the house? Any hunters? Nobody hunts. Don't you hunt? You just shoot, you just shoot stuff? Okay, all right. I mean... When you hunt, you have to have the right weapon. My son Noah has a little video game uh, for hunting. Now, if you're anti-hunting, uh, don't call PETA on me, okay? I don't want to deal with people eating tasty animals, all right? That's what PETA stands for, people eating tasty animals. All the animal lovers in the house, don't write me mean emails. But Noah, my son, has a video game where he hunts. And you have to have the right weapon. When, when there's a big uh, bear coming at him, if he's just got this little you know, pistol or something, it's not going to work. He's going to lose the game. If he's just got the wrong bow and the wrong arrow, it's not going to work. He has to choose the right weapon. So Christians, we realize we're in a battle and we're remembering to forget all the past and all the negative and all the hurt and all the sin and all the guilt. But then we have to choose the right weapon because we are in a battle. We have to choose the right gun. And I, don't, I know Pastor Michael knows a lot about Guns and uh, Tom Lawson, they know a lot about guns and, and they can tell you that there's different guns and different ammo for different situations and different things. So we've got to reach for the right weapon. Now, look at this with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is really going to help you today. We've got to reach for the right weapon. And we're going to talk about in this series over the next couple of weeks, depression. How do we fight that? How do we fight addiction? How do we fight guilt? How do we fight discouragement? How do I fight discouragement on Monday morning because you didn't amen me very good on Sunday afternoons? 
How do we fight insecurity? How do we fight lust? How do we defy, how do we fight anger? What weapon in God's word do we pull out to fight anger? How many of you have ever had an anger problem? I used to have a major anger problem. And it might come back if you don't start amen on me real big. <laughs> amen. There we go. Thank you. You know, I preach shorter if you amen better. Did you guys know that? I like you. Amen. Come on now. There we go. All right. That was one of our staff guys. This is not good. This is not good. So we got to reach for the right weapon. Listen, if you're dealing with depression, you don't need to be studying about who the Antichrist is. Because if you find out, you'll just be bummed out and depressed. Come on. Come on. If you're dealing with lust, you don't need to be studying who the Antichrist is because you'll just think he's hot if you find out who it is. Come on. Amen. All right. I'll stop. Should I keep going? You understand? We got to dig in and find the right weapon. Whatever you're dealing with, we, there is a weapon in God's word for that. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Do you, you do know the Bible says a merry heart does good like a medicine? You guys do know that? There is a method to my madness here. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 10, and let's check out verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, and let's look at verse number 3. We are human. I think this is going to be on the screen, Jared, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Look at your neighbor and ask him, say, are you human? <laughs> Look at your other neighbor and say, sometimes I can't tell. It says here, Jared, if you can pull that up, it'd be great. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Verse 4, we use God's mighty weapons. We use God's mighty weapons. We use God's mighty weapons. I can't fight these battles on my own. I can't conquer my villains in my own strength. I must use God's mighty weapons. Verse 4, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So we must get on board with what God would say. And God has a weapon for guilt. God has a weapon for anger. And God has a weapon for depression. God has a weapon for lust. And we can reach for the right weapon. Now, I want you to see this here very clearly. We're going to talk this morning about one weapon, and that's the weapon, how do we fight addiction in our life? How do we overcome addiction? How many of you have ever struggled with any kind of addiction? We'll be honest to say, I am a recovering addict from chocolate. I love chocolate. Man, I can, any other chocolate addicts in the house? Now, you may think that I'm funny and teasing there, but listen, if you are, seriously, there is an addiction to food. And so we think of addiction to drugs, and we think of what Joseph went through as addiction. But listen, you can be addicted to video games. Oh, it got quiet in this church. Listen, if, if, if video games are affecting your family and if video games are affecting your job, listen, students, if video games are affecting your grades and your scores, come on, you are addicted. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't have a drink. And, you know, I'm just having a drink. Well, that's not the thing. It's not you having a drink. Does a drink have you? Well, I can stop at any time. I can put it down. I've challenged people on that. Oh, yeah, really? Well, let's see. Let's prove it. I'm addicted to coffee. Come on. And I, I'm a, I'm a freely, I'll freely admit that I'm addicted to coffee. Probably shouldn't be, but God's helping me. But listen, we all have things that we are addicted to. Some people have more addictive personalities than others. So how do we deal with a weapon of addiction? I believe here that God has really given me some things to do this. Again, it's, it's some wisdom here, some revelation. And this is what I want you to know. God may set you free. Listen, God may set you free. 
You've probably never heard this before. God may set you free. Let's say you're addicted to nicotine and you realize it's harmful to your body and you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and you want to put that down. God may set you free, but you may have to do some things to stay free. We've got a brother in this church that spent decades addicted to alcohol and God has miraculously set him free. But this brother may have to do some things now to stay free. Listen, if you don't have a long track record of being free, if you've been addicted to alcohol, you can't say, well, God set me free. I'm going to go hang out with my friends in the bar next week. Listen, you're hurting yourself. Can I have an amen? How many know sometimes when we're addicted, it's not enough just to say, stop it? Sometimes you can't just say, well, just stop. Check out this therapist who had some really good advice for his client. Check this out. I'm glad you're able to come in today. Before we get started, I want you to know that we do things a little bit different here. I charge a dollar a minute, but I guarantee that I can have you out of here in five minutes or less. How does that sound to you? Sounds too good to be true. Well, it's not because I expect you to pay in cash and I don't give change. Okay. All right. How can I help you today? Well, I'm afraid of being buried alive in a box. Hmm. Have you ever been buried alive in a box before? No. And how does that affect your daily life? I can't drive through tunnels. I'm not able to go spelunking. And I'm a little freaked out in sleeping bags. Hmm. Okay. Afraid of being buried alive in a box. I, I've got two words I think that are going to help you tremendously. Okay, I'm going to give you these two words. Take them home, live with them for a couple days, see how they feel on you, okay? Okay. All right. Stop it! Who's afraid of being buried alive in a box? I mean, that's just frightening. Stop it! Stop it? Stop it! That's it? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. You're a quick learner. Look, um, we've got a couple minutes left if I can help you with something else today. Well, I am scared of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Stop it! That's nuts! Who's afraid of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Just stop it! I'm afraid of driving. And how'd you get here today? A friend took me. It was terrifying. Well, stop it! Why would you give control to another human being like that? Stop it! What are you, kook? I'm afraid of clowns. Oh, I totally get that. They are frightening. I'm also terrified by unicorns and dolphins. Now, when you say unicorns and dolphins, you mean unicorns and dolphins separately or a unicorn dolphin like a, a Norwal? That exists? Absolutely. That too. Well, stop it. That's crazy talk. You come in here talking about dolphins and unicorns and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Just stop it. Stop it. You stop it. You stop it. You're just being hateful. You're not being helpful at all. All you're doing is just yelling, stop it. Okay, okay. I'm sensing some resistance here. I'm just trying to help you out. Okay? Are we going a little too fast for you? Yeah. Okay. Well, since two words is too fast, let me give you ten words that might help you out a little bit better. Okay? I want you to write this down. Take it home with you. Are you ready? Yeah. Stop it or I'm going to bury you alive in a box. I'm going to bury you alive in a box. Ah, come on. Look at your neighbor and say, stop it. Come on. Tell him. Sometimes when we deal with addiction, it's not enough just to say, stop it. 
you know, the, some people say, well, if you're dealing with, you know, lust or, or you know, pornography, if you're addicted to alcohol, just stop it. Sometimes when we walk through addictions, we can't just stop it. We need a little bit more help. I want to tell you that there is freedom in the power of God. I was, I was meditating on this, Carrie, the other day, and God gave me a formula. Again, I never heard this, never saw this, didn't get this out of a book, didn't get this off the internet. The Lord just himself, I believe, dropped this in my heart and my spirit for you today. I'm going to give you the formula how to win over addictions. I'm calling it this. I'm calling it uh, three answers to absolute victory over addiction. Three answers to absolute victory over addiction. And we're going to read these to you and then we're going to break them down. If you have struggled with addiction, yes, trust God. Yes, get in a support group. Yes, let folks help you. But I'm going to give you three things. If you want to absolutely win over an addiction from prescription drugs, if you want to absolutely win over an addiction from alcohol, if you want to absolutely win over an addiction of lust, if you want to absolutely win over an addiction of eating and food, if you want to absolutely win over the addiction of people's feelings and moods and you're addicted to controlling people with your emotions. If you want to absolutely win over being addicted to yourself. I mean, we got a lot of people on Facebook that are just addicted to their self. Come on. Notice this here. We got to have acceptability. We got to have accountability. The Lord gave me this so clear. And I thought, oh man, I got to write this down. This is so powerful. We got to have, we've got to talk about accessibility. Acceptability, accountability, and accessibility. Let's check this out today, and let's look at this, and then we'll let you go home. Number one is acceptability. Notice this here. You must accept there's a problem. Look at your neighbor and say, do you have a problem? How many know somebody that has an addiction, and they, they don't admit that there's a problem? They don't even know. They don't, they, they're in such denial that there's a problem. Number one, you got to accept that there is a problem. This brother that I talked to on the phone Last night at 10 o'clock at night, I had to pull off an exit and go find a Walmart and wire him some money. He needs to realize there is a problem. Amen. How many know that's a problem? Sermon's over, the thing's broke. I'm just kidding. Notice this here. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, I'm allowed to do anything. So when we talk about legalism, don't do this and don't do this and don't do that, there is a freedom in Christ where we are free to do things. But ah, notice this here, but not everything is good for you. If you have to argue with me and show me the only scriptures you can quote are about your right to have a drink of alcohol, that's the only thing that the only scriptures you know or to argue with me that it's okay for you to drink, then we have bigger problems than if it's okay for you to drink or not. Can I have an amen? So I'm not picking a fight on you over that. Can you, can you base the Bible and say you can absolutely not have a drink of alcohol? You cannot. The Bible rails against drunkenness. My stance is abstinence. We don't, we, in our family, we practice abstinence. We want to walk by the higher law of love, meaning if Joyce saw me out at Applebee's drinking, it might offend her and cause her to stumble. So, but I can't tell you the Bible absolutely says that you cannot drink a drink of alcohol, but I'm not going to fight you and argue with it. It's like, it's like, that's the only thing they want to fight and argue about. We got lost people that are dying and going to hell every day. And all we're concerned about is if I can be a social sipping saint. Come on now. So there's a higher law of love. Now listen, I'll let God be your convictor. I'm not trying to convict you. What I'm telling you is there's a lot of things that I'm allowed to do because of my freedom in Christ. Just because I'm allowed doesn't mean it's good for you. 
Paul goes on to say, I'll not use my freedom in vain. I'll, use not, I'll not use my freedom to bring personal gain. I'll not use my freedom as a stumbling block for other people. So listen, it's not the issue if you can have a drink or not. It's not the issue if you can smoke or not. None of those things are the issue. You may be allowed to with your freedom in Christ, but is it helpful to you? Paul said, I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, watch this, you ready? Here it is, Keith, here it is, ready? I must not become a slave to anything. So the whole deal with addiction, with food, with pride, addicted to alcohol, whatever your favorite sin is that you like to make your punching bag, I try to, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I just try to offend everybody, John. I just throw it out there. Whatever your favorite thing is or the sin that you struggle with or whatever that is, we must not become a slave to anything. It's not, do you have a drink? Does a drink have you? It's not, do you have a piece of cake? Does the piece of cake have you? I know people who have a real legitimate addiction to food, and it's a real issue. And so notice here, Paul said, I must not become a slave to anything. So acceptability. We must accept that the thing you are addicted to is harmful to you. You got to come to that realization. You have to accept. If you read Psalm 51, remember David? Remember Bathsheba? Y'all remember David? Man, I'm doing a good job as a pastor. You guys remember David and he was supposed to be at war? He wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to be, it was in the time when kings were at war. David was at home and he was on the roof. He had been in bed all day. The Bible says David woke up. If you read in 2 Samuel, David woke up and it was in the evening. He was napping. He was lazy. He was totally not doing what God had called him to do. He had let his guard down. And he looked over the wall, saw Bathsheba, perceived that she was beautiful. And you know the whole story. Went on, committed adultery, had her husband killed. Not only did he commit adultery and she wound up pregnant, but he had her husband murdered. He committed adultery and murder, was completely out of fellowship with God for over a year. And then Nathan the prophet comes, and, and you hear this whole story. And finally, 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 after a year, you read in Psalm 51 where David admitted he accepted that he had a problem. Number one, accept you have a problem. Now, here's the thing under accept. You ready? Accept this too. Hear, hear my heart. Accept that God wants you free more than you want to be free. Acceptability. Accept you have a problem. Accept this is harmful. Accept that God wants you free more than you want to be free. Number two in this list, that's good wisdom there. Number two is accountability. Now, look at Ephesians 5. Look, at, look down with me, Jared, at verse 13 for time's sake. Evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. The whole thing about accountability is exposing Satan. Satan cannot live in the light. Whatever deeds you do in darkness, if you are accountable, you expose them to another person, you bring them into the light, Satan cannot hide in the light. It says, for the light makes everything visible in verse 14. Now, let me give you some help here on accountability. You ready for this? That's a big word in the body of Christ. Accountability partners. How many of you have heard somebody talk about accountability partners? Now, I'm not anti-accountability partner, but I am pro using a little wisdom and accountability. Let me help you out. Number one, it needs to be the same sex unless it's your spouse. Come on. Men, you be accountable to men. Women, you be accountable to, to women, all right? So it needs to be the same sex unless it's your spouse. Number two, it needs to be somebody on a higher level spiritually than you are. Come on. They need to be, it needs to be somebody that's walking with God in a way that you want to walk with God. Number three, when I think about accountability partners, it needs to be somebody with a track record of confidentiality 
or all your dirty laundry is going to be on Facebook. The moment they get mad at you, all your junk's going to be on Facebook. Well, and then it's going to really be bad. How can I have an amen? So yes, be accountable. Be accountable to someone. Bring that into the light. Expose the darkness. But make sure they got a track record. And then number three, we're going to close with this. Pull back up our slide, Jared. You'll see this. Number one, we have acceptability. We got to accept it. Number two, we got to have accountability. This is how we win over addiction forever. Check this out. Number three, this is so powerful. Accessibility. Go back if you can, Jared. I'm not quite ready for that one. Accessibility. Check this out. I made a joke that, hey, if, you know, if you're delivered from alcohol, you know, you can't go back to the bars. You got to cut off, the Bible just says, I think you saw it there in Matthew 5. We won't look at it, Jerry, but you got to cut off the thing that is, is you're addicted to. Guys, if you are addicted to lust and pornography and you're struggling with addiction, you got no business getting online at victoriasecrets.com and ordering stuff for your wife. Come on, can we have an amen? I'm serious. If you are addicted to junk food and it's a major problem, take somebody with you that you can be accountable and don't even go down the junk food aisle. You know what I've discovered? If I don't buy it, I don't eat it. But if I buy, come on, except when I'm at Bob's house, and if he buys it, I'm going to eat it, praise God. Listen, I won't eat the donuts if I don't buy the donuts. Come on. If you are believing God to set you free from smoking, and you wake up one day, and like Joseph, man, God has set you free, you may not be able to hang out with your friends that are smoking all the time because it will pull you back in. You've got to limit your accessibility, you, you guys know, last story as Pastor Randy comes to help us close. Last story, you remember Samson. Samson took a Nazarite vow. A couple of things about a Nazarite vow. Number one, he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. Number two, he wasn't supposed to drink any wine. Do you know where Samson met Delilah? In a vineyard. I'm serious. Study your Bible. Samson met his demise in a place he had no business being. Young teenagers, if you can't Keep your pants on. Can I have an amen? If you can't keep your private part to you private and your girlfriend can't keep your private part to her private, you got no business being alone with the opposite sex. When I was in Bible college, they said, stay out of the frying pan. Because if you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. Can I have an amen? Would you all rather learn this stuff on the bathroom wall or would you rather talk about it at church? I'm serious. If you, were, if you and your girlfriend or boyfriend, if you just can't do it God's way and stay right, then do it the Duggar style. Come on. Now, I know they've had some mess, and I understand all that. But listen, I, I like public dating, man. I, I hope my daughter, she, she better understand now that we're going to be dating in groups. We're going to be doing group dates. Daddy's going to be in the back seat. Mama's going to be in the driver's seat. Praise God. So I've got about seven or eight or nine years to really prep her for this. No, I'm serious. No, I'm serious. The point is, listen, I know that's hard, and I know we got, you know, sense of ears in the room and all that. I understand that. I'm not trying to be crass, not trying to be difficult. I'm trying to say this. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're struggling with things that we're addicted to, we got to cut off the accessibility. Put a filter on your phone. Cut off the TV. If you just can't quit watching it on TV, throw the TV out in the yard. Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, even if it's your strong hand, cut it off. He's not literally talking about cutting off your hand. He's talking about limiting the accessibility. Do we want free? Joseph had to move. He couldn't stay in the city that he grew up in. It's accessibility. He wanted free. But the problem is we don't want free. We like our addictions. We pet them. They're our, we, we'll give God every area but this one area. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan comes to kill, still destroy. 
Jesus said, I come to give you life and life more abundantly. There's freedom in the house, freedom from addiction, freedom from bondage, freedom from guilt, freedom from depression. But we got to accept we had a problem. We got to be accountable to someone godly on another level where we want to go. We got to deal with accessibility. Hope this helped you today. Can we close our eyes? Let's pray together. I want to ask nobody moving around if you can. Please, everybody, respect this moment. Lord, I don't even think I said everything I was supposed to say today, and I I hope, God, that you can just take my words and pierce someone's heart. In Jesus' name. Friends, I don't want you to hear today, I'm against all this stuff, or he's just trying to take away my fun, or the bottom line is sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, make you pay a price higher than you're willing to pay. I've seen life after life after life wrecked because of addiction and wrecked because of bondage and they become a slave and I love you and God loves you and we don't want to see that for you I don't want another phone call from you at 10 o'clock at night because you're in South Carolina and you failed a drug test and you need money to get back home because my heart is for you God's heart is for you there's freedom in the house today every head bowed every eye closed if you say Pastor James you know what I've never given my life to Jesus. The first step to freedom is surrendering to a God that loves you more than you could love yourself. The first step to freedom is saying yes to the superhero Jesus. That's the first step to dealing with your villains. You won't be Billy Graham overnight. You won't stop everything overnight, but you'll be on a path with love and you'll be a path of forgiveness. I want everybody to pray this out loud with me. Everybody out loud, as loud as you can. Let's say it like we believe it. Say it with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Sin and Satan, I turn my back on you. Lord Jesus, I turn to you. I believe that you died and rose again to to set me free. Come into my life. Save me. I'll live for you in Jesus' name.